You're listening to Inside the Athletic Mind with your hosts, Taylor Cook, Lauren Williams, and Margaret Jennings. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Athletic Mind, where we dig deep and shed light on the mental side of sports for female athletes and coaches by having open conversations about mental health, mindset, and performance. We ended up skipping our episode last week due to a full play on all of our schedules, but we are back to our regular programming this week, so thank you guys so much for sticking with us here. We unfortunately could not be joined by Lauren when we recorded this as she was in playoffs at the time, Um, but in this episode, MJ and I are talking all about the importance of mindset and brain training, the difference between those two, and also how those skills impact our performance as athletes. And as always, if you guys find this episode to be of value or you think that someone else you know might be able to get some value from it, Please share it on social, share it directly to them, or alternatively, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. All right, welcome back to another episode. This week, it's just MJ and myself. Lauren is in playoffs in the SDHL, so good luck with that, Lou. I know you've already won one game, so here we go. Um, But today, we're going to be talking about mindset and brain training and why these two things are so important in athletics and I know in the first episode we prefaced a little bit about what it is that we do as as coaches in high performance uh, space but what does it actually mean to practice your mindset and how can this benefit you not only as an athlete but just in life overall so MJ Let's kick it off here. Yeah. Oh my God. Where to start? Mindset is, I think for a lot of people, uh, it can feel like a really overwhelming topic to start with, Mm. but realistically, I mean, when I think of mindset training, there's so much that aligns with just strength and conditioning in general, right? Like if you were to think of your brain as a muscle in the same way that you think of like your quadriceps or your biceps, like as an athlete, you can understand you need those to be strong in order to physically perform well. And they get strong by going to the gym regularly, right? Mm-hmm. As a regimented part of your routine to work out, to continue to not only build the strength, but maintain it. And really for me, mindset training is the same thing. Our brain is a muscle and we have to execute reps in order to keep it functioning the way we want to, right? To optimize mm-hmm. its performance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, we've talked about this before in terms of, you know, would have been like what maybe 10 15 years ago when strength and conditioning coaches became this brand new thing introduced into sport and a lot of people were hesitant to invest into this right like it was like well you're not you know how how is working out in a gym going to improve your performance within your sport when you're not training specifically for that sport um But obviously within like the last 10, 15 years, that narrative's changed. We know how important that is. And we know that the only way that we can perform at our best within our sport is that if we are optimizing our training outside of sport too, that not only includes, you know, putting in the reps, but also making sure we're taking the time to recover. And the same argument can be made 
for, for mental training as well. Right. So when we talk about, you know, putting in the reps, it really does come down to like practicing these different tools that we use to cope with some different emotions, for example, and putting those into action multiple times. So it really starts to strengthen those neural pathways in the brain. Right. And it's hard because you really don't get to see all this happening. Um, but I know I, I came across a, a video on Instagram that actually showed neural pathways being strengthened. And I don't know if I can maybe link it in the show notes for people to see or something like that, but I thought it was the coolest thing because you can actually physically see like what your, your brain and like the neural pathways in there start to look like when you are actively training your brain. Yeah. Well, and like you said, right, like strength and conditioning on the physical side of things has evolved so much, especially over the last few decades. I mean, even if you look at like guys that played in the NHL years ago, right. They'd be like, Oh, like, no, like we would show up to like preseason camp to get fit. Whereas now like the off season, everyone's expected to make gains in their, in their physical performance. But you touched on it. Like that's the biggest part is with the strength and conditioning, the physical measurements, it's visible, right? Like there is a quantifiable way to measure it. And for coaches, like you can see that an athlete is getting stronger. Like if they put on bigger weights on the bench press bar and they're raising it, okay, they're getting stronger. Right. So there's numbers behind the progression that's being made. And that's the challenge with the mental side is really most of the measurement is qualitative. And it's not something that the coach can see. It's something that the athlete will feel in and of themselves, but also understanding that that will have an impact on their external performance, right? And maybe we can get into some ways to paint that picture. I think people understand it, but just to paint a clearer picture of like, how does our mindset, like if we were to strengthen our brain as a muscle, what does the enhanced strength of our brain do for our performance externally? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the the best ways to kind of demonstrate that is to start talking about belief systems and the role that they play within our brain, right? So when it when we talk about mindset, it, it's essentially um it's just like the way that you think, right? Your mindset is made up of all the beliefs that you have about yourself. That's, you know, they it serves as a blueprint for your decision making and it's really responsible for 95 to 97% of the autopilot decisions that you have every single day, right? So just think about that, that 95 to 97% of what you do every single day is based off of beliefs and habits, which if, I mean, think about it, if you are operating within a negative belief system, if you have limiting beliefs, if you are, you know, maybe you have a lot of self-doubt or you have a lot of self-worth issues, then think about how significantly that's going to impact the way you think the way you act, the way you behave on a daily basis, right? So it really does start with addressing where you are now and starting to build the self-awareness because you can't fix a problem if you don't know that one exists. Yeah, no question, right? And like you said, like 95 to 97% of what you do on a daily basis is impacted by your subconscious mind, right? Your mental performance, but we don't realize it. So if it's not in our conscious mind, it's easy for it to like happen under the service and for us to not be aware of it. But like, 
I guess a surface level example would be like, if you think about working out, so you're going to the gym to train your physical body, think about the mindset and how that can impact your performance and your execution, even in the gym. Right. So let's say there's other things that impact your mental performance the same way they impact your physical performance. So let's say, you know, you haven't drank enough water. You didn't sleep well the night before you got into a fight with your partner. You know, maybe you're worried about finances. It's your time of the month. Like there's so many things that can happen, but if we go in with a negative mindset, the quality of our workout won't be as strong as if let's say before we get to the gym or on our way, we get great news or we had a great game the day before, or things are great with our partner or the opposite of that. We go in and we can feel more energized and motivated. And in turn, we execute physically much more better, much more better. Wow. Welcome to English. <laughs> much better. I just really wanted to be like even more than much better. <laughs> we can execute at our best. How about that? But yeah, I think like from an external standpoint, I think it's easy to understand when we feel good about ourselves, we execute better as athletes. When we don't feel good about ourselves, we see how that can negatively impact our performance. Maybe you have some examples to share from personal experience as well, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, like I remember when I was in university, you know, I was going through a pretty rough time mentally. I was super run down. I was feeling a lot of, uh, a lot of anxious feelings and emotions and, um, was just struggling with my mental health overall. Right. And that really did reflect in how I was playing on the ice. Uh, and it also affected like the way I showed up within the locker room as well. Right. So, I mean, from being somebody who's grown up in the, in the rink and that's been like a second home to me, that's the place that you love to go. It, it's where nothing else even matters and things are just always like Gucci, you know? <laughs> um, but at some point along the line, like it stopped being that. And that's like the first red flag for me right there. But because I was on scholarship, like I had, it was like a job, right? Like I had to be there. There wasn't like this, you know, ability to say, I need to take like a day or a week off just to like reset. Like that was not really a thing. So it, it affected my performance. I wasn't playing to the best of my abilities. Uh, when I was on the ice, I found that I was thinking about different things. Like my head was outside of the four walls of the rink, which is, you know, not where it should be when you're on the ice, right? Like we talk about playing in the now and making sure that you're focused on the task in front of you. Um, but versus, you know, thinking of times when I was playing really well, it's because my mindset was in a much better space. So I had a lot of self-confidence. Like I really did believe that I could be performing at my absolute best and it showed up in those results. And you know, it made me a, a better person, or maybe it was, I was a better person because I was happier in my, in my headspace. And that's what allowed me to perform better. Right. So like, those are just a couple quick examples off the top of my head. Um, but that can be applied, you know, anywhere. And I think it's a lot easier said than done. Right. So like I said before, you can't fix something that you aren't aware of. So that's like the first problem in and of itself, because if you aren't aware that there's a problem, you're not going to be able to fix it. So really the key is to start with self-awareness and starting to practice that. But even when you are aware of those problems, it can be still just as difficult to apply those solutions because 
it's a head game. You can get in your own head so easily. And that's why I think it's so important to not only, you know, have these conversations like we are right now, but the importance of having mental coaches or just like even counselors or, or people around or just even building like a, a really good team atmosphere so you can feel comfortable to go in and talk to whether it's one of your teammates, one of your coaches, but somebody just to have somebody to listen because a lot of the times that does help significantly, right? Yeah. And I mean, having played myself and then coached for years, like you touched on it, right? All of the mental performance stuff starts with self-awareness. And it is a major area of growth for a lot of people. Like, I think there's many athletes that I've had conversations with where, you know, it's like even evaluating their own performance objectively, right? Like is really difficult for them to do. I mean, we're all subjective in our, you know, perspective of everything, but they're very biased and often towards the negative rather than the positive, right? When they, when they address their own performance. So but you're right. It starts with self-awareness, just being able to connect with what you're feeling. So like use your conscious mind to like address, oh, I feel sad or I feel happy or I feel anxious right now. So even being able to connect with that. And then the next layer behind that is why do I feel that way? And that is where I think a lot of athletes hit a wall, right? Because we assume, oh, this is my emotion. Oh, this is me right? Whereas we've talked about this, that's not the case because you feel an emotion does not mean that that emotion defines who you are, right? Emotions are the way that our brain communicates with our body, but like our communications with anyone else, you know, we can filter what we elect to like give value to and not give value to. And the same thing can happen with our emotions. Sometimes our emotions are going to connect with thoughts that empower us and fuel us. And that's amazing. Sometimes our emotions are going to be connected to a thought that isn't empowering, right? Or is self-sabotaging. And when that comes through, we can acknowledge, hey, you know what? I know that that was the connection in the past based on an experience you've had, but I can choose now, like in this moment as an athlete in this situation, that's not going to serve me. So I want to rewire that. And I want to empower myself to do what I really want to do when I'm out there on the field or on the ice. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about like rewiring some of these, whether it's beliefs or strategies that we use, like it's important to note that just because something isn't like inherently a positive strategy doesn't necessarily mean that it's not good. Right. So like, I think back to, um, to when I was, I don't know, in high school, still playing junior, um, and like at that, at that age, there's a lot going on in your head. Like you're feeling all these like emotions, like your hormones are running crazy. Right. Um, but I remember like, I was very angry. Like I was a very angry teenager and looking back, like I understand why, but in that period in time, I had no idea. And I just like thought that that was who I was. I was just like an angry person. Um, and that just kind of, you know, paints that picture and goes to show that you don't know what you don't know. Right. Um, so like if I compare myself like now to who I was then, like I'm 150% a different person. Um, like I, I'm able to not only recognize emotions when they come up, but also to be able to dig in and understand like why it's coming up 
understand that it's okay that this is happening, but then also have the the intelligence and knowledge to apply a solution to fix it, right? So part of that like being angry situation was having a coach tell me that I wasn't capable of doing something. That pissed me off more than anything in the world. And it like really ignited this like fuck you kind of attitude. And I know a lot of athletes do experience this. And I think it can be argued both ways as to whether or not that's a good attitude to have, because it really can light a fire underneath you and can allow you to perform, but it can also be super detrimental to your performance too. Right. So really understanding one, what those belief systems are, like why they're being triggered, but two, understanding if they're even sustainable for you, because to a certain extent that really did help me to become a better athlete because I had this attitude of like, I'm going to prove them wrong. Um, but then again, like some people react differently, right? Some people, like if they're told that they can't do something, they're like, oh, stop. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I probably can't do this. So I'm just like, not even going to bother trying. Right. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see how different strategies work for different types of people. Yeah. That's such a common one, right? like the, the prove people wrong. And I know as coaches, like I've, I've worked with some amazing coaches in the past. And a lot of them say like, you have to find the balance between like when to nurture and when to push and understanding that the buttons are different. Oh, there goes my book. Um, understanding that the buttons are different for every athlete you work with, but here's the challenge with that, because I think that one's actually really common with a lot of athletes, like prove the doubters wrong, mm-hmm. right? Like you see it in like the NBA now, right? With like Fred Van Vliet and like, I'm pretty sure Michael Jordan says that that was like one of his driving factors in the last dance for sure. Yeah. Right. And the challenge with that is that it's outside of you, right? So in order for you to perform at your best, you need someone outside of you to be telling you that you can't do something. But what if your external environment isn't providing that in a moment? Does that mean, you know, but like Michael Jordan, what he did, it was like, okay, once he got past the one and proved them wrong, then he was going to look for beef somewhere else. Like I have to find someone else that I can create a narrative about this person that they're like the enemy. And then my job is to like prove them wrong. Right. So you're right. It absolutely works for some athletes and it depends on, I mean, everyone's going to find what works best for them, but it is hard because it does require that external piece versus like, if you have a goal for yourself, right. And you have a purpose that you want to fulfill. And sport is a big part of that purpose, that vehicle for you to do that finding like internal sustainable forms of motivation to push you to continue to get better. Right. It's like the whole thing versus like, is it more sustainable to always be proving someone wrong or is it more sustainable to try to get 1% better every day in and of myself, right? Like on that lifelong growth journey. Mm -hmm. And you're right for some people, it's the first and for other people, it's, it's the latter. Yeah. And it's, you know, for me, it, it, that's who I was back then. Right. Like that's how I operated. And for a long time, like even up until university, it was the same way. Um, and in, in university, it wasn't like a coach telling me that I couldn't do something. Although like sometimes maybe it felt that way, but it was having to compete every single practice, every single day for five years against my goalie partner, because it was, you know, just start at the very start, like just the two of us. Um, so, you know, we had to battle it out for that spot. And for me, that was like a, a, health, a healthier form of, of, of having that external motivation, right? Because 
at the end of the day, like you want to be the starting goalie and having her on the ice every single practice really held me accountable to showing up to be at my best. Because if I wasn't, then it was just like handing her the ball and saying, here you go. Um, but whereas now, for example, like I'm, uh, kind of in a, a year off situation, but have been practicing with a division four men's team. And I haven't been getting any of like the opportunity to, to play really like, so I just got on the ice again, probably at the, um, like the beginning of January, I've had like visa issues or whatever, but I've had a lot of pushback from like the, the club. And part of me is like having that old belief system triggered and, and wanting to prove them wrong, like a, give them like an F you, you know what I mean? Um, but the other part of me is like, they clearly aren't invested in having you around. So why do you care? Because there's other people, other teams, other clubs, other leagues that are interested in having you on their squad. So maybe it's more about making sure that I'm going where I'm going to be valued and where that growth can really nurture and I can become a better athlete still rather than forcing myself to stay in a place where I'm not appreciated and I'm not valued and constantly being in this really like toxic mindset of like just constantly worrying about how I'm being perceived by management because this is, you know, a men's team, first of all, like that's like a big difference, uh, not just in terms of like skill and speed, but just the environment in and of itself. And wanting to, to be playing at my best, but again, like not getting any of that psychological or even like physical support from within the club. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, that just made me think, right? Like maybe the key behind that idea of like proving others wrong, it's not so much about proving others wrong. Maybe it's about like proving yourself right. Right. Like if it's going to be sustainable, like maybe, cause I know I'm thinking like in terms of Michael Jordan, right? Like he would find other people, but really his mission was always to prove that he was the greatest. Right. So he, he found it was easier to prove that in the face of adversity, right? Like if he had that external challenge or hurdle to overcome, but really what he was trying to prove was that he was the best, right? And like putting yourself in an environment where you can do that. And sometimes, well, I mean, any athletic environment that you go into, there are going to be hurdles, right? Like there are going to be roadblocks that you have to overcome. So sometimes it's not about, you know, overcoming the hurdle. It's kind of proving to yourself that you can overcome the hurdle, which is a little bit different. I don't know. No, that makes sense. And I think it's, again, like, this is why we have these conversations, right? Like to, yeah. to be able to get a more objective view of what it is that's, you know, going on within your personal situation, because obviously I'm close to this. I'm subjective. There's going to be blind spots for me for sure, because this yeah. is how I'm looking. Yeah. This is what's going on around me too. And yeah, you know, I think now that I've gone through a lot of the, the mindset training and the coaching certs and stuff that I do obviously have a better understanding of how I can kind of open up that window a little bit still, but even so with 
all of that training, like there's still going to be obstacles. There's going to be adversity. There's going to be road bumps and there's going to be times where it's hard to get that objective view and maybe, you know, having, whether it's, you know, obviously us within our, within our locker room or having a mental coach on board with your team um, to just really help you get a better look at the 360 view of your situation. Yeah. Well, and, and this is the thing, right? It's like, ironically, the people that work in mental performance that work as, as coaches, most of them have at least one or if not two or three coaches, right? Because you understand as a human, like we are all in our own subjective perspective, right? And if you want to put it in like sports terms, so if you think about hockey, like why does a team full of NHL players, the best in the world need a coach, right? Like it's for that objective perspective. It's someone who can stand back, see the whole picture, right? Provide insight and guidance that a player when they're on the ice can never see because they just can't be in those shoes, right? So it's the same thing on the mental side. I mean, you see it in the strength and conditioning side as well. It's like, sure, players can do a lunge and a squat on their own, but having that coach gives them the support and guidance they need to be able to do it effectively and to provide feedback because you can't, you know, well, granted gyms are like lined with mirrors, but there's certain things that you can't see that the strength and conditioning coach can see. And that's the same thing that's needed in the mental performance space, right? You need an objective person. So it's one thing to learn how to skate and shoot and pass if you're playing hockey, but it's another thing to be able to execute a team system and the help of a coach is invaluable in doing that. Right. And it's every athlete can think and feel emotions, right. But you need a coach to help make sense of that, to help organize it and give you that objective perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, to kind of make that, you know, gym and mirror analogy work a little bit better, like it's, I mean, yeah, of course you have a mirror so you can see like what's going on, but if you don't know what you're looking for, then there's no way that you're going to be able to fix it. Right. So again, coming back to, you can't fix what you don't know is a problem in the first place. Um, and the same goes for, for the mindset stuff. It's the same exact situation, except you literally just cannot see it. It's something that you feel. It's something that starts to show up after you've started to put in those repetitions and, and do the brain training, which now that I you know mentioned brain training specifically, I'd like to kind of draw a little bit of a line between mindset and brain training because they are two different things, right? Like mindset is you know a term that refers to like that blueprint in your subconscious mind. So your belief systems, all of, all of this is governing your autopilot decisions on a daily basis, but brain training involves using your conscious mind. So using your awareness and logic to change or influence those beliefs that your subconscious has and to work in congruence towards the goals that you've set for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, Again, brain training, because I think it's a vivid picture that athletes understand it is like going to the gym, you know, like your muscles operate on autopilot. A lot of the day, if you get up and you walk, right. Or you go up a set of stairs or like your body just does those things, but it's not enough to just do those things. If you want to be an elite athlete, like you need to consciously train your body. You go to a gym, you do conscious reps of something in order to enhance your strength. 
like your brain, you wake up in the morning, you know, like you do 95 to 97% of what you do is on that autopilot, right? But it's about taking your brain to that conscious space into the gym to do the conscious reps to enhance your performance, right? Because as to be an elite athlete, you need your body to enhance its performance and you need your mind to enhance its performance, right? Especially when the mind really is what controls the physical execution. I think right there is like just an important point to really highlight, right? And we do put a lot of emphasis on making sure your body's in physical shape, making sure that you're getting nutrition, staying hydrated, like all of these are really important, but at the end of the day, your mind is what allows your body to move in the first place. So like that is the first thing that always needs to be taken care of in every situation. Right. And I think that's why we we're starting to see like just the mental health conversation in general within the sports uh, industry is becoming a very hot topic after how many years of, of trying to advocate and get people to understand just how difficult it is to be an elite athlete or a professional athlete, right? You do have a lot of stress going on. Your body is constantly under stress. And so is your mind, especially when you're trying to be performing to such high standards consistently. Yeah. Well, and you're right. So when we talk about like beliefs and thought patterns and all of that, it takes time to change and develop, right. To be more self-supportive rather than self-sabotaging much like your body. Like you don't become a rock star overnight. Like you have to go to the gym. You have to continue to do the reps. Some people, you know, evolve or put on muscle faster than others. There's different body types, you know, there's different states of mind. So like, understand that it's not like a one size fits all solution. But I think the biggest thing that we do to start is that transition, right? Like when we talk about resourceful state versus unresourceful state, right? Like that's kind of where all of this starts in terms of like painting the picture for how the mind impacts the body or how we execute, right? So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like the difference between a resourceful state and an unresourceful state? Yeah. I mean, like the resourceful state is the state that we want to be in when we have access to 90% of our mental resources. Right. So as an athlete, like think about, I mean, think about just how much mental, physical and technical energy goes into performing a slap shot. For example, like you have to be able to time the puck. You have to have your foot positioning, right. You have to make sure that your sticks angle correctly. You have to have the drive and the, uh, uh, the power and the drive, like to, to have that shot go through and good for a goalie. I know. Right. Thanks. (laughs) I can talk about how goalies can make sense. That's a lot to even like (laughs) think about too. Oh my God. Like being able to, you know, see the, the angle of the blade to see what hand they're shooting at the angle that you have to be on, uh, from the net, any secondary threats, you know, Uh, making sure that we're still square to the puck and in position, not biting too early. I mean, there's so many things that go into being a goalie. It's crazy too. Um, Mm -hmm. But to be able to perform at that level and to have all of those factors come together all at the same time to be in that resourceful state, it takes a lot of practice right? So you really do need to be focused. You have to have confidence. You got to be motivated to, to do all of these things. Um, whereas when you're in an unresourceful state, 
you only have access to about 10% of those mental resources. So you're probably going to be distracted. You can't focus on the puck. Maybe, you know, you're looking this way and somebody's over here because you're not paying attention, right? Um, your head's not on a swivel. Like there, it can show up in so many ways, but not being in a resourceful state when you're trying to be playing at a peak level consistently, mm-hmm. like, you know, it, it's just like putting your head against a wall. Like, like you get <laughs> frustrated, you get yeah. conf- like, you're confused. You just like kind of, I don't know. Like, I just think of like scribbles within my head. You know what I mean? Like, that's just yeah. like how I'm picturing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like just to paint that picture for you, like whether it is like a goalie making a save or a player taking a slap shot, there is a lot of factors that go into just putting one of those movements together. Now try doing that over 60 minute period. That's a long time. And on top of that, you're skating, you're losing energy, you're burning calories, you know, like a lot, a lot of mental energy goes into playing at those high levels. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when we look at resourceful versus unresourceful state, what kind of determines that, right? Because at a very basic level, our brain is designed to keep us safe, right? Like that's the function of it. And in doing so, it's going to move us towards what brings us pleasure and move us away from what brings us pain. Right. And just from like a survival standpoint, if we sense a threat or a danger, right. Which often is outside of us, like you know, the judgment of other people or an opponent coming close, whatever it might be. If we perceive that as a threat, that's where sometimes we become unresourceful, right? Because we kind of shut off and we're just trying to protect what we have and we go into protection mode, right? Or it can take us down that negative mindset. So we don't have access to the thoughts and beliefs and patterns and energy that we need to be able to perform at our best, right? Versus if we see those situations as empowering, as an opportunities to grow, then all of a sudden that opens our access to those resources. And we can tackle those situations where, like you said, like hundreds of things are going on at the same time, but we have access to the energy and the resources to be able to process it and execute, right? Like a lot of people talk about it as flow state because we're able to do it, but it kind of feels effortless because we've opened our autopilot to like serve us and support us rather than like shut it off and just try to run away from something. And I remember Lou said this a long time ago, like it's more sustainable to move towards something we want, like to run towards something we want. And you can even think about it. Like if I'm running towards something I want, I feel energized and motivated and empowered versus if I'm being chased by something I fear, like if a bear's chasing me, like I'm not thinking, wow, I can do anything. I'm like, oh my God, I have to stay alive. And I think I think that feeling alone like resonates with a lot of players. If they've been in games or situations where like you feel that way, like on the ice or on the field, like, holy shit, holy shit. That's what's happening in your brain is your brain is in survival mode and you don't have access to the resources you need to perform your best. Right. For Mm -hmm. me, that's kind of the difference between like resourceful and unresourceful. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like, when I think about, um, you know, what I work with my goalies on a big one that always comes up is either like shootout or breakaways. Like those are the, the ones where it triggers typically for a lot of them is a negative response. So they, 
you know, it shows up in their physiology. It, you can see that they don't play out as far. They're not really aggressive on the puck. <clears throat> and typically one of the first thoughts that comes through your mind in those situations is, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, Same it for just the shooters sometimes. Yeah. And like, that's exactly yeah. it. Right. Like, so, I mean, it's, it's about one noticing that that's even a thing in the first place. Right. And then doing what you can to rewire that belief. So for me, like I used to be the same way. Uh, whenever somebody came down a breakaway, I was like, Oh shit. And I had like come out and, and like, you know, try and try and play it out or whatever. Um, yeah. But over time, as I've one been in those situations a lot more and been able to successfully execute on them, it builds the confidence behind you to be able to actually do them moving forward as well. Um, but the second thing I want to say is having the ability to switch the self-talk that you have in those moments. So because it is like usually, you know, an intercepted pass at somewhere along the line. So it happens just like that. And having your brain, you know, rewired to not say, oh shit, but to be like, all right, like, here we go, you know? So that in and of itself is a difficult task to achieve, but it makes the huge difference in how you're going to show up in your performance in those pressure type situations. No question. Right. And that kind of touches on like the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset, right? Really it, it comes down to our relationship to that external factor. So when someone, all of a sudden there's a breakaway in a game, right? Like a fixed mindset would be like, oh shit, like this is, this is danger. Like, you know, this is a high pressure situation versus if you're in a growth mindset, it's like, yes, like, let's do this. Like, this is an amazing opportunity to like shine and grow and learn. Right. But that happens in a split second. And and the irony is it's much like working out in the gym, you know, like you have to get those reps into increase the strength in those muscles so that when you're in a battle in the corner, you can outstrengthen that opponent. You know, you don't just go into the corner and outstrengthen them. Like the work has to be done off of the ice. And it's the same thing with the mental, the mental work, right? Creating those new pathways that make that process. Like when you see someone visualization's huge, I know, especially for goalies, I think there's lots of room to grow on the player side to use mm-hmm. that leverage it. But like practice, like someone is coming down on you on a shootout. What's your emotional response? Like, what's the belief system tied to that? Is it, oh shit, I can't let my team down. Or is it, this is amazing. I have an opportunity to like help my team out here. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, again, important to note that this can fluctuate from time to time, right? Like it does come down to like, what mindset are you in when you step on the ice? Like that plays a huge role in this. So for example, if, if I'm stepping on the ice and maybe I've had, you know, a little bit of an argument with my partner or something, or maybe I just like had really terrible sleep and I'm not in a good mood and then going onto the ice and trying to perform at that level. And then having something like that happen, the odds of me being like, all right, here we go. Let's do this. Like (laughs) it's pretty slim, right. Versus if I'm showing up in a state that's resourceful and I feel empowered and I feel confident in my abilities to stop a puck that day, then obviously that conversation with, within my head is going to sound a lot different. Right. And that's where that value of like wiping the slate clean, like doing things to mentally prepare yourself for the game is so important. Cause you're right. Mm -hmm. Like depending on what happens in your life away from your sport, you can walk into the rink or the, the arena that day 
feeling all different kinds of ways, right? But creating that ability to like slow your brain down, get into a neutral state, fuel yourself some like empowering beliefs, right? Before you go onto the ice or onto the field or court is so important, right? Cause you're right. It's, I think that's also overlooked from a physical standpoint. Now it's very commonplace. Everyone does a warm up and a cool down. Why? Cause you need to get your muscles moving. You can't just throw them into the fire. Whereas for our brains, it's like, I don't know. I don't know what my brain's doing today. Whatever. We're just going to go out and see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same thing. And you can't just go from being negative to stepping on the ice and being, well, I'm positive now. Yeah. It's like our body, right? Yeah. Like we can't just sit still and then step on the ice and just go right into a, you know, a shift full speed. You're on a breakaway, <laughs> but you haven't done anything before. Like it just doesn't make sense. Right. But we do it with our brain. It's just, it's crazy. No, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I just love the way that you present it because it really does paint that picture in your head where like, how is it that you can actually set these expectations for yourself and some coaches for their players, but not give your players or give yourself the tools to be able to mentally and physically prepare yourself for battle. That's literally what you're doing. You're preparing for battle. Um, so now that we're kind of talking about like tools and stuff, like what is one of the tools you would recommend to athletes, whether it's to like get started on that self-awareness piece or, you know, just how to, show up and and prepare yourselves for being in that resourceful state. Yeah. You know, I think it, it really depends on the athlete, much like a workout program, right? Like if you're a strength and conditioning coach, you're going to meet with the athlete. You're going to talk about where they're at physically in terms of their current physical health, the areas they need to grow the most. And it's going to vary for everybody. But I do think one of the easiest ways to get started is to kind of look at a simple pregame mental prep routine, right? Whether it's like some conscious breathing or meditation for a few minutes, just to get yourself in a neutral state. So like we said, to wipe the slate clean of whatever you brought into the arena with you to create a fresh path and then to do some visualization or some positive self-talk right? Or some key goals or areas of focus for that game ahead, just to do that. So it would be the equivalent to like telling an athlete, okay, like your first physical step is going to be just to do a bit of a warm up before you go on the ice to make sure that your muscles are ready. And understanding like we, you know, we have so many tools at our disposal and it's much like strength and conditioning. It's going to be customized based on what those athletes need. And it will evolve just like a workout program or regime evolves the same thing happens with mental performance and some exercises and tools will really click for certain athletes. Some will find something else a little more useful. So a lot of it's trial and error. Um, but I think that's the best place to start is just getting conscious of your mental space. When you come into the rink or the arena or court, creating just like a neutral mind space, like bringing your mind into the present moment and then setting some goals and doing some visualization to prepare you for for stepping onto the competitive field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's true, like different different strokes for different folks, right? Um, there's some tools that, you know, I know Lauren uses, but like, I don't really enjoy that much for myself, right? Um, and like, it's the same thing that I say with, with my younger clients, especially the young ones, because this is the perfect time for them to be getting into mindset training and understanding how their brains work and what it is that they can do to, 
positively impact not just their mental health, but their physical performance within the game too, right? So um, for me, my suggestion is always starting with like checking that emotional pulse, because I think the emotional side of all this, especially as athletes, it does get under like underserved. I don't know if that's like the right word, but like, we don't talk about it enough. Like we just, we are in this mindset of, okay, don't feel emotions. Mm, That's it. Like, yeah. (laughs) And like, I, I was the same way and truth be told, that's how I like to feel when I go into a game. And that's how I feel when I'm playing at my peak performance, I don't feel anything. I'm just calm and cool and collected and like emotionally just neutral. Like I'm Switzerland, but, but emotions are going to come up throughout the game, depending on how you're playing. Right. So for me, whether it's, you know, if I'm having a great game and I'm playing well, I'm making like big saves, like it's going to bring up some exciting emotions. It's going to happen. And for me, I know that it's okay. Like I, I'm allowed to feel happy. It's nice. It's fine. But But in order for me to like to consistently play throughout that game at that level, I need to pull those emotions down a little bit. So like experiencing them and just being like having like the the self-assurance and saying like you're doing a really good job. Obviously, like this is going really good, but not indulging in that feeling for too long, like accepting it and then letting it pass. Right. And then the same is said for the opposite side of that, whereas if it's a bad goal or if I'm not having a great game, maybe I'm off my angle a little bit um, to recognize like frustration is going to come up. Anger might come up. And especially if I, you know, I remember a game when I was in, in Norway and I was playing against Stavanger and they scored three goals in a row, the same exact shot, same exact angle. And I was so frustrated with myself and it was like super hard for me to get back into that game mentally because I was so fixated on like not doing that same thing again. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's really important to connect with what it is we are feeling emotionally as it comes up, whether it's throughout training practice games, and then take some time to like log it, to write it down and then start to dig and like get curious about like, why is this coming up in the first place? Right. Because we can't really fix or address any of those issues until we understand why it's happening. Yeah, for sure. It's the emotional regulation, right? Like in competition, I remember we used to have this saying, no parades, no funerals. So like once the puck drops, like keep yourself in check, but you're right. Emotions are absolutely going to come up and it's not about denying yourself of those, right? It's like, but letting them free flow because you're right. I think as athletes, we have a tendency, we, okay, a big emotion comes up. Okay. We're just going to like ruminate on it. We're going to keep it here. And we're going to question, why am I feeling this? But like, we dig into it, but you're right in competition. It's hard. It's kind of like, okay, it's coming. This is great. Now I need to refocus for the next shift, like one shift at a time. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge area where the mental performance impacts us, especially in a sport like hockey, where there's you're out, like goalies may be a little bit different, but still same thing. Like you go out for a shift, you come back off, you have a minute, then you're back out again. Mm -hmm. People will bring that last shift with them right? Like people Mm -hmm. will bring the emotions of that last shift with them to the next one. Mm -hmm. Often the negative ones. Like if you make a mistake, you bring that mistake with you and you can see it in your physical execution because your mind is still in that past situation, right? Mm -hmm. Like the best performance happens when your mind is present. Like you said, like it's free flowing and it's relaxed because 
you were just focused on what is happening right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think it, it, the same argument can be made for goalies too. Like, I think goalies face a little bit different uh, adversity in the sense that like the puck, I mean, we're on the ice the entire time. Right. So like, yeah. the puck can be in the zone anywhere from, you know, a couple seconds to a couple minutes, depending on how yeah. your team's playing. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it just goes to show like how important having focus and playing in the now is because I mean, even if the puck's not in your end, you have to be paying attention to what's going down on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I remember when I was uh, playing, I think it was junior still. And so embarrassed um the puck was in the other in the opponent's end and I was like arms on the post just chilling (laughs) and my mom screamed from like the top of her lungs at like the very top of like this dome type uh arena that we were in like get your head in the game and I was like oh my god that's so embarrassing but it's so true though like I mean, I had to maybe learn that one the hard way, the embarrassing way, like, thanks a lot, mom. But yeah, <laughs> but like, it's really important that we are paying attention throughout the entire game. Now that doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that, that goes for not only goalies, but players as well. Like when you're on the bench, of course, taking the time to maybe like reflect on the shift that you just had, but staying present for like, I would say like 95, 97% of the time. Like take a couple seconds to reflect and then like bring your focus back to the now and realize, okay, like what is it that I need to do now in order to impact the result that we're trying to get? Yeah. Well, and I think that's a, that's a huge thing too, right? Like understanding where are the natural breaks in your sport. So in hockey, like you have between shifts, you have between periods, soccer, basketball, like it's going to look different for everybody, but how can you maximize that downtime as well to make sure that you are keeping yourself in the present moment, right? Because you're right. Sometimes when you come off the ice, like you do need to spend a few seconds processing that emotion, right? Like give it space. Cause as we know the, the challenging thing with emotions is if we don't process them, we just shove them down. They just get bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Cause your brain is like, hello, I'm trying to. So it's, it's like, if you're trying to communicate with someone, right. And you're talking and talking and talking and they're just like, like you're just going to get louder and more pissed off. You're gonna be like, listen to me. Right. <laughs> so true. So it's the same thing with our emotions. It's, it's not, you just have to acknowledge that they exist. So if you're feeling stressed after a shift or you're pissed, like, oh shit, I messed up that, that pass. Like it didn't go where I wanted to come off the ice and say, yeah, you know what? I acknowledge that wasn't the pass you wanted to make, but you have another opportunity to go out and change it or re this is a big thing that we talk about, right? When you come off the ice, the value of actually closing your eyes and visualizing yourself making that tape to tape pass, like, don't, you know what I mean? So you're rewriting that visual, because as we talked about before, the power of visualization is our, our brain can't differentiate between whether or not it happened in real life, Mm -hmm. or if we're visualizing it, if we visualize it really clearly. So that's another way to kind of build our confidence in our execution as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like visualization, I'm, I'm always 100% like supportive of. Uh, it's something mm-hmm. that I have practiced for a long time. Um, and I think the more that you start to learn about it too, the easier, like it, it really does get not just in practice, but understanding like fundamentally how that works with the brain. So like, as you were saying, the brain can't differentiate between what's visualized within your head and what's actually happening. So the clearer that you can make that visualization 
the easier it's going to be for you to step on the ice. And I mean, there's, there's so many studies that support visualization within, I mean, every realm, but specifically it's studied in athletes and I forget the name of the study, but it showed that athletes who, um, who partook in visualization, visualization, uh, they improved by about 30% just doing visualization. Whereas people who only practice physically didn't really see much improvement at all. And those who practice both obviously saw much more, uh, much more improvement. And I, maybe I can link the, link the, uh, the study in the show notes here because that's the way I explained that was terrible, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I think when you do that, when you visualize yourself doing something well, when we talk about like rewiring, like that will go into your brain as proof of success. Like you're, you're filing away an example of you doing something really well. And it's amazing that we can do that mentally. Like we don't have to execute something physically to tell our brain that we're able to do, to do it. Right. And you're right. I think it's such an underutilized, uh, skill set. I think it has really grown in terms of goaltending, but I think there's a lot of ways that we could grow it from the athletic side as well, like the player side as well. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and before we kind of close out our conversation here, which obviously was such a good one, I'm so happy that we had this yeah. one. Um, <laughs> but one of my, my absolute favorite quotes, and this is what got me into, um, this is what got me into like sports psychology and mindset training in the first place. And it's from the book recommendation that I gave on our very first episode, which I think I'm due for a new recommendation soon. So, um, but the quote is by Yogi Berra and it's 90% of the game is half mental. I love those little yogiisms. <laughs> very nice. Very yes. nice. Oh, so good. But it's so true though, right? Like how much Mm -hmm. of a, I mean, we just talked about it, like how much mental, like how much of the game is mental really, right? Like a lot of this starts in your head, your, your physical movement starts with your brain. Right. So, I mean, it can't be emphasized enough just how important training your brain is for your sport. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes people see it as this really, like I said at the beginning, like a daunting, thing, but to even understand, like, there's so much proof that this works because once upon a time, we didn't know how to walk. We didn't know how to hold a spoon. We didn't know how to drive a car. Like the way we got better at all of those things was through conscious repetition, 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 until it became an autopilot habit. And if we look deep enough, I'm sure a lot of us could find like a couple not great habits that we have that are also autopilot because we repeated them enough. So for me, that's empowering because it's just proof that if we do use our conscious brain to try to execute the things that we really want to be able to do, and we do it enough times, our brain will remember that information and we'll be able to do things that are more empowering, you know, on a longer term Mm -hmm. basis, whether it's on the field or just in life in general. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I think about like, just like learning the way you learn is by repetition by repeating what it is that you're trying to learn, whether that's like rereading the same thing or whether that's, you know, going through practice questions and getting something wrong, like making mistakes is part of learning too. So I think that's, what's so great about like the mental, the mental training is like, 
There's no one perfect way to do this. Everybody is different. We all learn in different ways too. So it's also good to understand like how do you best learn for yourself? Like, is it, are you somebody who needs to take part in like the kinesthetic physical action of doing something? Or is it, you know, I need to read or maybe I need to hear and, and listen to what's being said for me to fully comprehend the task at hand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, a big thing that I talk to a lot of coaches about too, is that forgetting is a part of learning, right? So I think a big part of it is just being compassionate with yourself, mm-hmm. you know, but having the motivation and the connection to the purpose behind why you want these new habits, right? Why this new learning matters so much to you, how it's going to help you. Like the, why is really what's going to drive you and give you the resilience to overcome like the forgetting or overcome the mistakes, right? See them as an opportunity for growth rather than a sign that you're not capable of doing it. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and I always say, like, I remember saying this to athletes all the time. It's like your energy is, is currency or your attention, let's say is a currency. So it's like you have coins, right. And there's two jars and you have an opportunity to decide what you're going to invest it in. So your conscious energy can easily be taken in a lot of negative directions, or you can use it to grow in the ways that you want to. Right. And it can open the door to like a better serving subconscious mind. If we use it in the right ways. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It. Cool beans. Cool beans. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's today's conversation. Oh, I hit you with all the early 2000 sayings, cool beans, just joshing. So Is that what they say? I thought that was like, earlier than a long that. time ago <laughs> just josh and yeah they must say something else Please. now <laughs> who's they the kids the young ones i don't know <laughs> i don't know i don't know i don't know either anyway <laughs> cool cool <laughs> Please.